you know this guy's friends with Tyler Childers? He looks like Tyler Childers. Is that why you look like Tyler, Ch- well, Tyler Childers? Because you're friends with him? No, no well, we were we were hanging out, and he's like, yeah, so Tyler, and we have a mutual friend, Tyler Wilhelm. And I was like, yeah, wait, Tyler went to Kentucky? What are you talking about? And he's like, no, Childers, man. So, How'd you meet Tyler Childers? Childers? What? Oh, like six, five years ago in Oregon. His old tour manager used to be a ranger, and we started talking. At oh, nice. Show. And then it was when Tyler was still hanging out at the bars, and now we kind of run in the same group of musicians. And that was before he dropped that Purgatory album. Welcome to Rodeo Time with Dale Brisby. We're talking to Paul Handelman here, um, Leroy Gibbons, Donnie Ray Daytona. Paul has um, is going to tell some war stories, and he's also going to tell us about his album. Yeah, I've got a new record coming out in July. Uh, I was up in eastern Kentucky filming, I mean, filming, we're filming now, recording that in uh, February. And um, What's it called, the album? Until This Point. Mm-hmm. It's actually not one of the track names. But is the it? Name of the record. That's all right. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Is it? Well, the idea is... It's, jazz? Yeah, it's all jazz, smooth jazz. All jazz flute. <laughs> Leroy played on four tracks. Mean okay. sax. <laughs> Playing the mean sax. Mean saxophone. Yeah, all uh, woodwinds, actually. Did you know that I performed JK, a tender wedding and he played saxophone? Oh, I meant to bring this up. So I go by Padre Paul as a musician because uh-huh. I am an officiant. I've done four weddings. Padre Paul. And I was thinking... I pa- noticed that was your handle. Padre Paul Deacon Dale. Mm. You know, there might be some... Padre else. Paul and Deacon Dale. I like that. Sound like a whole new podcast. Yeah, or a whole new music album. That's we might have saying. a record. I could play the, like, maracas. Is that the deal you shake? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, and the tambourine. tambourine. Exactly. Yeah, Maraca and a tambourine. Yeah, get flowers. But the prequel to Deacon Dale and Padre Paul's debut album is coming out end of July, and it's called Until This Point. And I'm gonna release all the info on it on my social media on Instagram because it's the only social media I use. And then um, I'll put a single out early July, and uh, the record will be out slowly after that on all streaming platforms. And I'm gonna do some sort of hard copy release with some CDs, posters, and possibly some vinyl. So keep your eyes out, and there'll be a lot more stuff coming out for that. Did you get that one CD? One CD. CDs nuts! (laughs) Got him! (laughs) (laughs) He showed me a few of the songs. Pretty dang good. It's going to be a really good album. I'm excited to hear the rest of it. Well, now let's get into the podcast. When we're doing a mic check, you can say whatever you want. Yeah, I agree. But... If you are not talking into the microphone, you can't say I get nervous. talking into the microphone. We <laughs> had to start over. Microphone. We couldn't hear Paul. There That's was some... my fault. I was whispering. Yeah. Well, I was like, he's about to spit some gold, and nobody's going to hear it. <laughs> um, we'll put subtitles on good the job, podcast Donnie. for you to hear, though. Yeah, yeah. Paul su- suggested <laughs> subtitles. Welcome to Rodeo Time with Dale Brisby, take two. Um, I believe this is podcast number 27. Welcome to podcast number 27. You said you've listened to a few. Yeah. Was that just to do research because you knew you were going to be on the show or you're a fan? Uh, fan. On the spot. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Yep. Uh, which one did you listen to? Uh, the last one, definitely. Yeah. Because that was the first one that was up when I opened the podcast. Yep. Uh, and then when you open podcasts, there's like five you can click, and I pretty much clicked those five. Nice. What numbers were they? I wonder if they're in order. I wonder how they it are in order. Oh, okay. Yeah, so the I most listened recent. to the twenty-first birthday where the podcast got hammered because he turned twenty-one, and yes. I think Donnie was going to take him to Billy's. 
Overdyne's gonna take Billy Bob's. Billy Bob's first yep. twenty first. Yeah. Yeah. And I listened up from there. There's some good ones. Q and A was killer. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. We need to do that again. Um, I haven't seen those. I don't know what you're talking about. So I forgot to introduce. Uh, we've got Paul Handelman here. Um, he is on our guest for podcast number twenty-seven. Leroy Gibbons, Mr. Donnie Daytona, Ray Daytona, and Dale Brisby. And oh, you were wow. just telling us about uh, your shirt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Ranger Cattle, uh, it's a ranch I used to live on down in Austin with a buddy of mine who started it. Oh, so you live there? I live, Well, my Airstream was unhitched there. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So that's where it fell off my truck, so I slept there. Gotcha. For how long? Uh, off and on for a year before I took a different ranching job south of austin and then last year for about another six months before i came up to oklahoma nice so they raised wagyu wagyu so yeah. did you get to eat a lot of wagyu i ate all the wagyu yes. all the way <laughs> do you feel like it's really it really tastes that much better initially i didn't um but as i ate it more and kind of tried different ways of cooking it i think it really does certain ways but i mean if you're gonna grill a steak you're gonna grill a steak you got to put some TLC into making the that quality of beef worth it. Right. But yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, it looks. The marbling always looks yeah. really nice. So. I've never had Wagyu. I'll bring either. some up when I pass back through on the way up north again. No, gotcha. you don't have to do that. I'll throw it out the window <laughs> while I'm driving. <laughs> that's, so that's where you're going right now? Yeah, I'm going down there to dehorn all his calves this weekend. Yeah. Just dehorn? Uh, we'll dehorn and de-nut. Oh, okay. Yeah. We typically do it twice a year down there. And I used to just come down and help him here and there. And then we all kind of took on roles doing it because it used to just be him doing all the work. And then whoever could find help him. Now there's about three of us that go run them all through and do all the dehorning and castrations. And there's a lot of data collect that goes on with that breed because they're all AI. They're strictly AI. So. Gotcha. Uh, um, how do you, how do you know these? this guy uh josh was a ranger in first ranger battalion and i was a ranger in second ranger battalion and we met through mutual friends that's uh that's in the coast guard oh army Army. oh (laughs) Oh, i'm gonna head out (laughs) (laughs) what i just i uh, i forgot uh i was ashton kutcher you were ashton kutcher no ashton kutcher was in the coast guard was he really i didn't know that it's a movie which one? Kevin, oh, Kevin Costner. Costner. When they're like out in the sea? Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. gotcha. Yeah, that's the Coast Guard. There's no Blackhawk yeah. down is what I'm getting at. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so, do we, do you, when were you in the Army? Uh, 2000, late 2011 till 2017. Six years. Just wow. Six, yeah. It's quick, quick math. Really quick, man. You're welcome. Oh, yeah. so you're doing your timetables. That's why I'm the host. Because I'm good at math. Uh, what made you go in? Uh, a few different things, but um, I was in college at the time. I decided to do it, and I ended up doing the university I was at, ROTC program. So I went the officer route, um, and I knew I wanted to be a ranger, and doing it the officer way just meant it was going to take me longer to get to that unit the way rank structure works uh i'd always wanted to be in the military and then i thought i'd do college first and i got to college and i was kind of uh 
I was kind of a loose cannon and kind of wild, and I needed something to chill me out and get me focused. So I just decided to figure out how to do both, and they paid for my college doing it that way, so I figured why not. Yep. What college? University of Montana. Go Grizz. Go Grizz. Is that where you grew up? No. Grew up in uh, Missouri, just outside of Kansas City, uh, near St. Joseph. So why'd you go to Montana? Uh, I wanted to go west. Yeah. Yeah. Haven't you been told? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So you're a Missouri boy, like Donnie. Yep. What uh, part of Missouri? Uh, Northwest, so uh, right up 15 minutes out of Kansas City, but north of the river. So there's north of the river folk and south of the river folk. South of the river folk are typically in Kansas City downtown or Kansas City, Kansas. And then we're north of the river and we're a little more rural, uh, still pretty decent sized town but my granddad used to be the voice of the kansas city chiefs and he moved uh up there from joplin to start broadcasting in the 50s and our family's been there ever since nice so you're gonna go back there one day i thought i was gonna go back there after being away for uh man a long time like 11 12 years and i went back to help another buddy start a different ranch and i was in kansas city for about three months and i realized i'm not going back and yeah. I left again. Yeah. But I've always been pretty nomadic. If there's one place I may not have left, it would have been Montana, but I had to because of the Army. Yeah. Uh, but every every two or three years, I'm ready to move to the next place. So I don't think it's that I don't want to be back in Missouri. It's that I want to be everywhere else. Right. So you're in, uh, you're in ROTC, and then – so you graduated college in 11? In 12, yeah. and then you go where? So um, my path was I graduated, and then uh, I immediately went active duty. And so I branched infantry, so I needed to go do my infantry officer course, which is a 16-week course in Fort Benning, Georgia. And then I needed to do uh, ranger school immediately after infantry officer course. Because if you want to be an officer in the Army and the infantry and you don't have a ranger tab – you're never going to get a platoon. So I did those two schools. I'd already done airborne school while I was in college, so I didn't have to go to jump school. And I did some other schools while I was in college over the summer. The Army will send cadets to go do big Army schools in the summer if they have the time, and they pass the selection to do it. So I went down to Georgia, did infantry officer course and ranger school, and then I got after those I got assigned to my unit which I did the, I was in the big army for two years. We call the big army, like the regular army, the big army. And then, so I did 82nd airborne for two, two and a half years. And then I moved to special operations after selection process. And that's when I went to ranger battalion for the last three and a half years. So when did you go overseas? Uh, 2014, 2015. For two years or just twice? In between the two years. Was it left, nine months? Left early. No, we would only do uh, four or five month deployments. Forty five months to five. Man, wow. I said four to five last time I was at Winnebago, and he thought I said I'd been homeless for forty five years. But I said four to five. Oh well, sometimes you I know. I need to accentuate my twos, I guess. I guess so. Yeah. yeah. I mean. Four to five months, uh, and then we have. Uh, and when you're in range battalion, you do the shorter deployments with leave on both sides and then a three-month train-up and then redeploy. Gotcha. Yeah. So what did you do when you were over there? Uh, what was I, your job? I was a 
strike force platoon leader so um we had uh, three different platoons around the region and we would uh execute um direct action raids I trying to figure out how to word it yeah trying to figure out how i can word it but uh we were strategically pa- placed around the country and my platoon we were in charge of training a uh a force of afghan special operations guys and we were trying to hand off the mission like we've been for a long time to them to do so we'd take them through a training cycle like we would do back stateside ourselves and then for the practical application of it we would have them go actually action the targets in the combat environment and kind of as their validation we would take a small contingent out with them as rangers and go with them into the battle space and make sure they're executing the targets the right way and be there to help control different things that um, only we should be controlling out there so were they using people that had experience in battle to train or were y'all just kind of training what y'all had been trained? Um, it was a it was a combination for both, and because there's such a large amount of handoff between units, so you've got you've got your um, your Afghan home force, and they're there. That's their home, so they're constantly in operation cycle. And since our units were cycling out so frequently, there's a lot of turnover. So you take the experience and knowledge of the um, advisors like us coming in to train and then the fact that they're there the afghans are there all the time training so it was just a constant handoff of where is this unit or company at in their training cycle where do we pick up as the advisors what part of the training do we need to get them through and then how do we gotcha. help them action targets gotcha what percentage of your job over there was you training compared to like you actually executing y'all's own stuff uh well our our own stuff at the time was their training, whether it be in the capacity of training behind the wire or outside the wire. So it was, uh, we weren't going to go out without some sort of their contingent because in the minds of the powers that be at the time. That's the whole point. Yeah. Gotcha. It was to figure out a way for us to hand off and you're never going to hand off if there's no training so so you're over there like you're in a fight and it's this constant like are you watching are you paying attention we have a test later and then you go back to fighting and well that's their the goal was to try to get them to do everything right make sure they do it right and when when things got really bad if things got really bad for them assess what's going on and coach them and train them through it. Um, the guys I worked with, I mean, we're just, I, I was a junior officer there. So being a junior officer there, you're shielded under an umbrella of absolute bad, badassery of guys that just have been there for a very long time and have massive amounts of combat experience. So those guys can easily be evaluators and trainers on the ground in combat at the same time. It just, it's a weird thing to do, like, kind of as an outsider looking in, but it's a very normal thing for those guys who've been at war for 15, 16 years. I mean, my platoon sergeant had been, I think, maybe on his 12th, 13th, 14th combat deployment. Dang. So, so he had been there, like. Most of those guys are just total pipe hitters, those senior guys, and they've been there forever doing it. And so, like, because obviously 9 11 was in 2001. So 
if them guys had been in for any stretch of several years, they had been seeing like yeah and stuff a, since then. And a lot of the guys, like the senior squad leaders and the platoon sergeants and first sergeants and sergeant majors, they were very young when it all kicked off, or they immediately got in after the nine eleven, and so they'd gone through initial invasion surge, change of ROE to training advise assist environment back to more high intensity action targets i mean they'd seen it all and yeah that's what you get as a junior officer if you're lucky enough to get selected and you make it through selection you do get to go there and be a strike force platoon leader or platoon leader in any capacity the reason they're such a successful organization is because they foster and help the junior leaders grow with the strength that the guys are surrounded by which is what luckily i had when i was gotcha Yeah, I had a, a buddy traveling partner. He he was sitting in the airport waiting. He had finished basic training in the Marines. He'd gone home and he's in the airport waiting to go back after, you know, after his break, after right. basic training and uh when 9/11 happened. So like he didn't get to get on his flight that day cuz obviously they suspended all travel oh, yeah. for a couple of days. But anyway, um so yeah, he went he went over to like Baghdad. He's standing there when they tore the statue down and all that jazz. Well, but, it was wild it was like around the time I was done <clears throat> in my last year or so in, the guys that started to show up to the units were some of them were young enough that they weren't even alive when 9/11 happened. Dang. Which really kind of when I sat back and thought about it, kind of blew my mind cuz I was young when I was seventh grade, I mean, I still remember very vividly into, it made me think like, what is motivating these guys to get in and do this? Because we had such a strong motivator. And yeah. The guys that were even older than me had such a strong motivator to do it. Right. Yeah, they had, they, everybody got to watch. Right. Or had to watch, not got to watch. But, um, so when you're training those guys, like, knowing, obviously, you you would have had a pretty good idea of like the average army soldier slash average army ranger what was their average soldier like compared to our average soldier obviously it'd be hard to compare their elite to our elite because but i mean just on average are they if ours are like a, a nine or an eight like was were they easy to train were they no no they weren't easy to train yeah no not was easy it, to train lazy yeah um they want it yeah yeah my the, ross he was telling me i guess they were in a similar situation but they're going in to like clear out a uh, a hotel and he's like there was there was a hotel and then another building and then a house and they're trying to get you know anyways and that's the and they go in and there's like three or four shots fired and it's it's like 40 marines and then like a hundred of the um i guess it was iraq at the time mm-hmm. And like three, four, five shots, and those hundred, they leave. <laughs> it's just like forty Marines left. Seriously? They just left. Yeah, he tells Dang. this story about this hotel, and like, and then they cut the power, and it's like they're in there fighting all these guys with no power, and like run bumping into each other, like lights out in this in this clearing out this this hotel. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have different insights on indig forces and where they should be and what their focus should be, but. Um... I, you have to take into consideration as a third world country, the lack of mm-hmm. education they've had, the way they've been raised, all these different factors that boil into 
the caliber of not just soldier but people they are as as humans and they're not all bad um, yeah they're but i have a big problem with guys i'm over there with my buddies training to try to take over their fight for their own country just wanting to get me to sign letters of recommendations so they can try to get u.s citizenship like no stay in your yeah. country fight your war bro gotcha right yeah that can that i bet that's annoying yeah. <laughs> we're here to train you so you can save this country yeah not just so you can leave yeah. and come to ours right and yeah. while we keep coming back yeah so you got out how long ago uh 2017 oh so not that long hmm. yeah gotcha um so they what made you you were in there for six years yeah what is it that kind of led to you because i'm sure they're recruiting you to stay uh this could be a rabbit hole uh, <laughs> so I was being groomed to stay. I did not want to stay. Um, I did not have immediate commanders that were helping foster and mentor me to get out and transition. I was being told, no, you're saying you're doing this, you're doing that. I ranked really high in the evaluations that we get as junior officers. I was being groomed for the next position. I wanted out. No one was counseling me. No one was talking to me about getting out. They were square pegging me into a round hole. We were on a training. I'm going to make this short, and I'm going to rip the Band-Aid off. We were on a short training deployment to South Korea, training their indig forces. I was on my last straw about nobody helping me get out. Uh, so I broke some rules. I went out and got really pretty intoxicated when I shouldn't have, and I wound up in a fight with about six or seven Korean police officers in downtown Seoul, and everybody was kung fu fighting in the middle of the street. And <laughs> got in a little bit of trouble. Um, and I had submitted my packet for, uh, UQR, which is, you can do that when you're done serving your oblig obligation, your time period. And I'd done that and it was approved. And then after I got in the altercation, they pulled it back and made me go through, uh, kind of a disciplinary way of getting out. Like, we're not going to let you just get out now. Now we're going to make you feel the pain of it. And so I had to go through. How I got long did that take? Well, they tried to send me to prison in South Korea for a year and a half. Oh, dang. So I had to go through the full judicial process in Korea. Dang. Yeah, lost my life savings. Uh, my unit had to redeploy to America while I sat around working for a different unit in Korea to get through the judicial process. Finally finished all that up, came back stateside, blew out my knee the day I got home, tore all the ligaments in my knee. So I had to get that fixed. A week later, got staph infection in my knee. I had to go back and get it fixed again. I had to get my shattered AC joint repaired, which I broke on a jump. And all this stuff came trickling down, and then it fueled the fire for how I feel a lot about uh, government organizations and structural leadership. And it was all the reason I wanted out in the first place, and nobody had helped me get out. So I kind of just took yeah. the crystal ball and shattered it and got out. What? The only way I saw fit. So rewind. <laughs> I want to hear more about you fighting six guys at one time. <laughs> yeah, that's the... <laughs> no, I was fighting six guys. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Yeah. <laughs> well, wait, wait, wait. I, I don't... There are a few times in my life where I don't recall things that have happened. <laughs> that's one of them. This is, without a doubt, one of them. I mean, when you want to talk about total blackness and not remembering a thing, it's this. And I know what was said in court, what I did... And I just don't have a recollection of it. Dang. 
whatsoever. Well, you didn't lose. Uh, I lost my front teeth, which had been lost a few times before, so it's not like... Yeah, that wasn't a big deal. Yeah, they were right. fake already. Yeah. <laughs> and I had they had jokes on you. <laughs> I had a concussion, and eventually I was in a police station handcuffed, so... But I, it took seven. Hours. I don't know how many it took, <laughs> but I know it was... A few how long did it last? Uh, they said it lasted between 20 to 30 minutes. And Dang! Because what happened was, I guess, more police and bystanders came to help <laughs> subdue the Mexican fighting bull in the streets of Seoul. I don't... I can neither confirm nor deny. This is what my lawyer told me to say. Uh, any of the events that occurred that night. You know, I, wow. It was, a, it was a while ago. It was, I mean, we, we talked about growing up and making mistakes and making decisions. I loved everything I did. My biggest regret, having to go out that way, is letting my guys down as a leader. Right. Because I was... My platoon and I had such a very close relationship. Yeah. And I was relinquishing my platoon the next week. So all I had to do was hang on five more days, and it would have been a, a better send-off. But uh, to this yeah. day, I'm extremely close with a lot of those guys who are still warfighters. Some aren't. Um, it's just, Our relationships have gotten stronger over the years. And one thing that event did for me is it showed me the leaders that – want to get away from the blood splatter as soon as it's happening and you think they have your back but they don't and mm-hmm. it showed me the guys that i would really want to go to battle with because they s- stay with you yeah and you don't think until it's happening uh that some of those people would turn your back on you but it phew, opens yeah. your eyes so when you say turn your back on you you mean just like overall in general about the situation or literally on that street that night no there was a guy 100 percent abandoned me that night uh just one guy but then there's a bunch of leaders who um i mean i took onus of this from the minute it happened i i called all the leadership and told them all this is a mistake i made i'm gonna own it whatever consequence i'm not making excuses for myself i did this yeah and i think it made them all kind of take a step back because they thought i was going to come up with all these excuses and i just wasn't i made a mistake right and so they didn't know what to do so their i think their uh mentality was just well throw the book at him and then I assumed the book would be thrown at me. I did not think that the leaders that had asked me to, to do things in combat and in training and, and break my back for him would then immediately about face and just. Yeah, he's on his own. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fine. I mean, I, when you spend some time on your own, it really s- strengthens some parts of you that you probably didn't know you have. Um, and like I said, it filtered out the people that I wanted to be around anyway. So. Yeah. Everybody was coming through fighting. Dang. What a story. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. I didn't see that coming. Six people. My granddad had a story like that. Similar. He was, uh, it was, uh, Vietnam. It, yeah. Leaving. And that's the thing. Like, Saigon. when you're trained, I was really frustrated being in Korea. Like, I was trained to go to be a warfighter, and um, <clears throat> all those guys were, and a lot of those guys have to do it had to do a ton of those training deployments and we're over there at a time the rest of our units deployed to combat and we're seeing the combat updates we're seeing all that stuff happen in real time and we're stuck in this country training these people who don't really want or need it right and we just want to go do what we're trained to do like it's my belief rangers should be on an island and there should be a glass box with a red button in it, and you shouldn't let them off that island unless you need to break that glass and hit that button mm-hmm. because rangers are good at doing a few things and 
fighting's one of them, drinking's another, and another F word's the other. But if you're not doing those things and you have to channel that energy into something and there's all this turning off, turning off, turning on, turning off, it's hard to deal with. Mm -hmm. Transitioning out of the military is a whole nother hurdle, but you can you have the time to figure it out then. Right. When you're in the machine and the machine is constantly charging and going in different directions there's no time to figure it out right sometimes your head's one place and your body's another and it's just yeah so was transitioning a little more simple for you yeah. i guess i mean like all those hurdles after are like the, after the i'd gotten through all that i was like man if i can manage to get through this and if i can finally get out of the mm -hmm. army like i know what i need to do and that's just find a way to be happy yeah like i spent all these later years not being happy if I can just look in the mirror and more often than not ask myself, am I happy? If the answer is yes, more often than not, then I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. When I started to kind of align my life with that, it made making decisions with what I wanted to do a lot easier. Yeah. I didn't have a grand plan when I got out. I just knew I needed to be doing something else. Yeah. Was that So as far as your list of priorities, how high on that was music? Because that's kind of one of the things you transitioned to, right? Yeah, music kind of fell back into my lap because I'd played for a long time and then I didn't touch it in the military. And I, it, I found an old, old guitar while I was moving at a time I couldn't have needed it more. And I clung to that and I wrote, started writing again a lot and playing again a lot. And then these, these walls kind of opened up or fell down and the dam opened up. And I just, it was like, those two things were supposed to collide at some point in my journey and I don't know what why the things occurred to make it get there but good and bad I'm glad they happened because I mean I've been tremendously happy the last few years and I never thought I'd be in this place because I think like a lot of guys that sign up to go do all that stuff you just you don't anticipate making it probably into your 30s and you kind of think maybe I'm going to go off and ride off into the sunset and die some crazy heroic death and once you're out of the military and you have to realize, man, my, my life could go on for another 50, 60 years. Yeah. Then you yeah. got to really kind of think, man, what's, what am I supposed to do? That's wild. You're like, so you're what? 30? 30. 30? Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, man, I really didn't expect to live this long. <laughs> <laughs> That's a crazy thought. But I guess if anything, so it sounds like you have incredible perspective now. So we saw a little bit of that. You came to Winnebago when we had the, the UBF yeah. bullfights here. And so you got to kind of help Pedro react to some of the uh, one guy broke his arm, another guy got a horn up his butt. And neither of those situations ended up being as serious as everyone thought they were in the moment. Right. Mm -hmm. Because, like, the kid, they're freaking out. You're Screaming. trying to, yes, the one with the, yeah, he was freaking out. He was screaming. But, like, so in the moment, everybody thinks the worst, but you were calm as a cucumber, cool as a cucumber, whichever one cucumbers are. Now it's like, okay, you had incredible perspective. Like you can walk over and be like, all right, guys, I know it's bad, but there's not six Koreans beating you up. So <laughs> like nobody's Kung Fu fighting. I don't know. Is that, is that, well, that's, it's a funny you mentioned that perspective because I've had, I've taken on some civilian jobs what I found out in my short time of doing that is I can't really just work for anybody because what really frustrates me is I see people either losing it or completely stressed out 
And there's a thing some guys will say, like, at least you're not being shot at, or at least mm-hmm. there aren't explosions going off. Mm-hmm. Just just those little things, it's like, all it is is a, it's just a way to say things could be worse. Yeah. And really, but those guys that were bullfighting in scenarios where injury is a real thing, internally, I'm, I'm triggered up to, like, an eight or a nine, but externally, you don't want that to show... It's a it's a serious thing, but like you said, you want to quickly analyze things. And once you realize it's not life, limb, or eyesight, you want to make sure that this environment stays calm because that's the only thing that's going to keep a guy that's hurting calm is you remain calm. Yeah. You don't want to be the first guy over there to be like, oh, my God, there's so much blood. Right, yeah. It's not going to help anything. Dude, no. I yeah. figured out what kind of person Paul was because I was watching that tape back when that kid got hooked real, real bad. That bull camped on him. And this dude charges the fence, like, on the top rail, and that bull's still sitting on top of this kid and, like, was not going to stop, was going to get in there. Yeah. Like, Were you going to go in there? Yeah. I had a weird premonition that something was going to happen at that. I, I'm not a weird guy like that, but I was just sitting back there going, man, if somebody gets balled up, it's probably going to be right at my feet. And I saw him get rolled, and when he started rolling towards me and he was in the fence, I looked around and none of the other fighters were anywhere near where they were going to help him. So I climbed up on the top of the fence, and I was getting ready to jump down. And then right as I was getting ready to jump, and he saw the light under the banner, and I watched him. I was looking down at the bull, looking down at him, and he rolled under my feet, and then I jumped off on the outside. But that's the smartest thing that I have nothing but respect for a guy in that much pain and that much of a stressful situation to realize what he needed to do and roll out of that pen was super good on on him yeah but yeah I mean, it was crazy the the um the change of pace that happened between the stags that morning and the the killers that afternoon that was a that was a change of pace yeah after everybody ate lunch i was like man i hope these guys aren't just like sitting around taking a nap after yeah that lunch because they're gonna have full bellies and slow legs when yeah. i saw those fighting bulls unload i was like Whoa. yeah yeah that was serious so is there anything Having coming off of being a ranger, is there anything relatively extreme like bullfighting that you've like wanted to do to get a, that rush level back to an eight or a nine? Yeah, I mean, there's absolutely stuff I want to do. At the same time, I have to take into consideration how much effort I had to put in to making sure I was set up with all the ailments I already had mm-hmm. and all the surgeries I've had and. So they're saying I got to listen to my body more often. Yep. But one of the things about one of the reasons I love cowboys and I love spending time around guys like you and I, all of you, not just you, Dale. <laughs> and uh, actually, you're probably lower on the scale, but just cowboys in general. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> Leroy's mustache. Yeah. yeah. But uh, spending time around cowboys and just good blue collar people is there's so many similarities between where I came from with Rangers and where Cowboys mentalities are and, and hard workers about end of the day. Like I just want to, I want to work with my hands and I want to be around honest people. And I mean, that's why I took that job ranching in Texas. Cause I knew that was, those are the type of people I want to be around. Mm-hmm. Like, you guys, you always talk about, you ain't no cowboy. Well, you could translate, you ain't no cowboys into you ain't no rangers, and they'd almost fit hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So there's guys in that 
like really want to talk the talk but like when you're in the storm they don't well that and just the whole perception of like what it means to be a real ranger versus guys that might just have a ranger tab like having a ranger tab doesn't make you a ranger like, right you ain't no ranger if you just got a ranger tab you need a scroll what's and a scroll mean a scroll means you actually went to a selection process to work for the 75th ranger regiment which is the special operations unit anyone in the army can go to ranger school and endure a suck phase for 65 to how 65 days or however long it takes you to pass that's just a school but to be a ranger in the regiment and one of the three battalions or the support battalion you have to go through a selection process mental and physical and be selected to go to that unit to be hmm. a special operations so member. what what's it like in a storm you're at a level eight nine you're at a level 10 on the inside with an actual ranger like what's it like like being next to somebody who has a scroll rather than someone who's just happens to be there fighting the difference is you, you are you just in general like yeah i guess like i'm trying to think of, of you said like you ain't no ranger you ain't no cowboy yeah, so, so like it's the difference is when you're next to the guy with the scroll you probably don't even know it yeah when you're next to the guy with the tab he's making sure that everybody around him thinks he's a ranger gotcha gotcha well so i did look at your social media and i don't know i know this I, I don't think this is what you're talking about but like you can't even tell that paul was in the military looking at his instagram like it's just like you, you go through there and i did notice that yeah. and because i don't know i feel like well there's a there's a mentality um, veterans are their own worst enemy trying to bridge the gap between being a veteran and moving back into the real world mm -hmm. we don't need you walking around asking everybody to thank you for your service man like right that's the mentality that the bro vet community has created and the people that want to shout the loudest in anything you probably know this from rodeo the people that want to shout the loudest are sometimes people with the most insecurities mm -hmm. i feel like that they didn't prove enough so yeah and that's just kind of the mentality of i mean there's operators I know out there who are 20, 25-year guys who are just like, you want to talk about some wild maniacs. Yeah. You would think they're soccer dads dropping their kids off at practice in their SUVs. Right. Yeah. That's, that's intriguing. And that's, you only get to that point if that's how you carry yourself. Uh-huh. Because it doesn't matter what people think about you. What matters is how you carry yourself. Who's the baddest dude like that you can remember? that you knew like that's just like kind of like in your circle everybody was like that's who they wanted to be like there's there's probably there's probably five guys i know who are real shooters and just bad bad dudes were you with them in um one i worked for one i worked for one was in at the same time as me in a different platoon um one i worked for now who was in before I was in, we worked together in a different world. And uh, another two are still in doing things above and beyond that just... So you weren't necessarily in a ranger with them at that time? A couple of them I was. Gotcha. And a couple of them in passing, one totally not in at the same time. Gotcha. Because I, like, as far as if you list those five in the cowboy world, like I'm obviously number one. Yeah, obviously. You know. So that's cool that you get those those five in the military, and now all of a sudden, you're with one of those five in the cowboy world. Really, it's the great white buffalo. Great white buffalo. Great yeah. White buffalo.
you're you're like in the rangerest of rangers in the cowboy world right now in this room. You're I don't welcome. know that life could or will get any better for me after I leave. It won't. I'm sorry to say. You're welcome. Barn. Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. And mustaches. That's top five right there. Right. You're welcome. But it's yesterday's. I hadn't fixed it. So what are those guys like? Just I'm just trying to picture like what they would be like. Just everyday stuff. Like they're gonna be going through life. I don't know. Like it's it's really intriguing to me that just you could be in a grocery store and one of them is a warfighter who, at any given time, could. I think it's just you do something long enough, like a lot of those guys have, um, that they don't even realize the way they carry themselves. Like mm-hmm. just you're you're brought up in this environment uh, that's so much different than what a lot of people experience that it just becomes a part of who you are and mm-hmm. really it doesn't look any different than normal unless you're in a situation where it needs to be applied. And I think that's uh, where those guys thrive and others fall off or get out because they just realize some guys were born to fight. Mm -hmm. And I know some guys that they have been fighting since the war began at an old, at an old age and they will fight until they die. Yeah. Because they truly don't believe their cause is anything else and i have to say there's a couple of them that i totally agree with yeah there are some guys that i'm like man i don't know if this guy can do anything but kill bad guys and he's really good at it. yeah kind of like how like somebody like jb was just made to right. ride rank bucket bulls yeah yeah and you think and about that filter process that gets that one guy <laughs> to that point i mean it's the same in everything there's so many people start and and so few end up being at the end of that filter process. And yeah. It's in bull riding. It's in everything. Because we get to see plenty of guys try to do it that is, they are not. And it is not and in their DNA. It's funny because I got to see so many people fail at all the schools I went to because they're high high failure rate schools. There's nothing more motivating than watching people fail. Yeah. That's true. Kind of, no, like you watch people around you just like I can't be that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. How many of them, though, like, just, like, realize? Because, like, I, I get to see people when they fail in, in rodeo, like, having helped a lot of beginners. Mm-hmm. It's just like, this ain't for me. Like, I wouldn't really even call it a failure. Like, you're as far as your bull riding, like, you're just like, that's not a failure. I just knew I didn't want to do it. Right, yeah. right. I wouldn't count that as a failure. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just like, I don't really want to do this. I'm out. Yeah. Like, how many, of, how many of it, did that happen a lot? People are just like, I've realized yeah, this isn't through different me. schools. Like I went to a couple of schools that were extremely challenging. One was combat diver qualification course, which is the special forces dive school. And then ranger school is another tough one. And the uniqueness about the toughness of those schools is people will just eventually get to the point where I'm not doing this anymore. I'm, right. I'm uncomfortable. This is not for me. I'm out. Yeah. And that's, that happens quite a bit in those schools. Is there a point though, where it's like, man, if you'd have just hung on like one more week. Oh, all the time. Yeah. And that's why you always tell yourself in that school, I'll quit tomorrow. Like, that's what you tell yourself every morning, I'll quit tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> were there guys that, like, chirped about it like that? Were like, oh, uh, and then they were the, guy, they were the first guys that, yeah. like. and that's where that humbleness of how you carry yourself yeah. starts. And that's why the guys we were talking about a little bit ago, they were not chirping when mm-hmm. they were. Mm-hmm. Right. They early. were sitting back and watching right. and, and listening and taking that stuff. Down yeah, and the spotlight rangers and the chirpers all—it always catches up. To yeah, them. it's always just a matter. Well, the, I think that's in anything. Yeah, like, it is. Like I, I see those kinds of guys in, in everything. Yeah, I mean, the more you chirp, the 
the louder it's going to be when you get popped in the mouth. Like, mm-hmm. that's just the way of the world. And it's fine. Like, there's a borderline, there's a thin, thin line between confidence and cockiness. And mm-hmm. it's very important to tread that line. Right. I think sometimes you dip on both sides, but I think that's the way you should carry yourself in hmm. everything. Yeah. Um. So, seeing yourself now, you're 30, moving forward, like, what, what do you see as, like, your goal profession or just industry? Nomad. Well, I'm going to build a fence today. That I was just, I yeah, yeah, you're going to help with the round <laughs> pen. I'm going to rost about and I'll do a little bit of any type of work. I yeah. Get money for it. No, I, I'm, I've told people for, I don't know how long I can get away with this, but I keep telling people I didn't have much of a 20s because it's my old work, so I'm trying to have my 20s and my 30s. I understand. Uh, Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, but I've got, I don't, I've got a girlfriend right now who's super supportive of all everything I'm doing with music and wanting to travel and move around. And um, I feel good about not having the best plan, but still having a plan. I think it's important that you have a plan. It doesn't need to be the best plan. So I've got some one to two year targets, and I'm thinking down the road. But to me, it just boils down to: Am I happy? If I'm not, change it. Mm-hmm. And I have, a, I have a college degree I've never used. At the end of the day, if I needed to, I could probably go get a, a job. Yeah, yeah. I, so I got to watch that obviously with my old traveling partner, and I felt like his everything just got shifted by, in his case, what was he in? Four years. Yeah, he's in four. He was just in four years, so it, it all got shifted, you know. But as far as and he was a bareback rider, so he started college four years later. He started riding bareback horses four years later, and. But so did his 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 fitness. So like he's riding against younger guys, but he also didn't have the wear and tear that some of those. Yeah, he's twenty five, going against seventeen and eighteen year olds that have been doing it since they were right. twelve. But then you know, and the twenty five year olds his that had been doing it since they were seventeen, yeah. eighteen, like they were starting to get broken up. Anyways, the point is he's thirty eight now. And the other day he uh he spread the crap out of a bareback horse at thirty eight years old, which to me out of the four events is the most physical demanding as far as the wear and tear on your body. And so and he felt great. And he had and this was in Graham, which was at the end of May, he had been on one horse this year, you know, because of all the all the delays and rodeo cancellations. So like and he just had been working out, hitting the spur board, and at 38, he... But anyways, my point is, is I, my observation with him is, like, you know, had he not gone to the military and essentially had, like, this four-year break where he went into this other deal, he would be at this situation at 34. Mm-hmm. And uh, because everybody's... But, like, the young age has changed, I feel like. Right. Yeah, so, like, 30 in 1980... You got to have, like, you got all three of your kids. They're in the fifth grade. Halfway to retirement. Yes, you're halfway to retirement. 30 in the year 2020, like. You might just never get a degree. Yeah, you're you're nine years away from settling down. Right. I mean, I, why not? Like, we're on this, this, we're all together on this spinning ball, like, somehow being stuck to it with gravity let's let's do the things that make us happy for as long as they right. make us happy like spur bowl at 38 go yeah. fight a bowl at 40 like, yeah if it the, makes you happy why not do it yeah because maybe you don't get to do it if you don't do it and i think rodeo is the only thing really like or, or something other things similar to that that have that um 
that time limit on them. Oh yeah. You're not gonna you're not gonna go to the NFR at 50 years old. You're you're not. You can start a business and be an entrepreneur at 50. You could you know well, run I mean, a not, triathlon. Not rough, not in rough stock. You could you could. Yeah, rough stock. And, yeah, team yeah, roping. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry. When I say rodeo, sometimes. I'll well, you see those young kids fighting the bulls. Yeah. Like it's clear they love it and they want to get it in while they can. Right. And I think back to when I went through like dive school, you couldn't pay me a boatload of cash to go try that now. Yeah. I was young and motivated. I turned 21 right. down there at dive school. It was, I was at my peak. I wanted to do the baddest thing I could. I wanted to be the baddest mother I could. Yeah. And that's how those, that's how young guys are at that age like that. Right. And I think it's killer to see guys that are re- recognized, this is when I need to do it. Yep. Let's do it now. Yeah, because, I mean, I don't know. I think about what was it as far as – even like entrepreneur stuff and, and the lady that started Grey Goose, um, is it Grey Goose Vodka? Okay. Yeah. I think she was in her 70s when she started, when she started drink, that. Might as well. When she, was, when she started that whenever she was in her 70s. She's anyway. been drinking bad vodka for 69 years. She wanted to start a good vodka. <laughs> That's what I know. She's tired of it. Like, let's let's get something better in our system. Anyway, that's just what, what I think. I don't, I don't know. I don't think there's a prescribed timeline that we should be fulfilling in – the different generations of folks from the Gen Z's to the boomers we've we've and the things that have happened in the world and the United States have built this structural timeline of graduate college, get married, have kids, white picket fence, four oh one K, retire mm-hmm. at sixty, start living at sixty five. Like why? Yeah. yeah. If I can be happy now at thirty to thirty five, why wait till I'm sixty five? Who even uh, knows if I'm gonna make it there? Like yeah. you don't have to be f- totally feckless in everything you do like try to save some money try to do the right things but absolutely I, you yeah. don't have to yeah at the same time throw all your cards into one bobby steiner that's what i want to be yes bobby I, steiner i 100 percent. i've seen that guy and i was like that's my goal and it's not just the fact that he's in such great shape at 68 it's not it's life. it's not mm-hmm. just the fact that like the the youthfulness in his eyes when he jumped out there to barefoot water ski with his grandson and just do these random mo- Did you see that video? Is that what you were showing? Yeah, I was telling yeah. You yeah where he's out there yeah. barefoot water ski. Just wow. He says, uh, what does he say? I ain't got time to get old. Yeah, don't let the old man in. Yeah, Clint Eastwood. He, he quoted Clint Eastwood. He's like, don't let the old man in. That, to me, like that's quality of life. That's what I – just living it till then you know what i think it was 1973 or 74 world champion bull rider like that's a long time ago and he is still living life to his full to its fullest it looks like he's yeah. at 40 i just yeah. can't imagine waiting around till the latter half of my life to be like okay i'm ready to start living yeah i would be full of regrets right yeah i got i've got a few buddies even military most of them are military now that i'm thinking about it the two three four guys that are like you and they're just like they might be thirty or mid thirties or even Ross at thirty eight riding bareback horses, like just kind of just living life. I think you get. Do you a, think it comes from the perspective of seeing like death in front of you so many times? I think it might come from the perspective of just like really truly realizing uh, things aren't that bad, and the things that normally would have stressed me out, I've seen, I've experienced so much more stress than this. Like, I, yeah, I can live out of my truck for a few months if I need to. 
Like that will shut some people down. Mm-hmm. If they can't figure out what they're going to be eating for breakfast the next morning, like it'll shut some people down. Yeah. And I don't think it's just in the military or just seeing stressful environments or seeing combat or seeing death. I think it all, I think it all is around a fulcrum point of, of mortality though. And I think once you come to terms with mortality and whatever capacity it takes you to get to that point, whether it just be through self knowledge and education or actually witnessing the truth of mortality once you have a grasp on that or start to understand a little then it crushes your ego and you don't give a crap about what people think yes or that's what you it think and you can start to really live that was my next question because that's what i feel like gets most people if they're 30 and they feel like by then they've got to have the two kids and the picket fence and a safe job is it's not necessarily they're obviously no, I don't want to say obviously, because some people want that by then, and that's their true desire. Right. And I've got friends that are like that, and they're completely happy, and that's okay. And you can tell, though, right. who it's but, supposed to be. But then there's other people, like, they're doing that just because their parents or grandparents or, you know, coworkers, friends, think they should do that. Mm-hmm. That's the sad part. It is. And it's, it, it's not sad to see people do that. But when you start to see your friends do it, that... That don't want to do it, it. and you see them in that bind, and they start coming to you on the side, like, "Man, I can't breathe." Like, yeah, it's good to be hang out with you and and talk to you for some normalcy. Yes, man. Yeah, they see you as like the you're right. Yeah, that's what's sad when you see people doing things because based on what other people think. When really, like, and and what you know, one step further, whenever they do that, based on what people think and those people they don't even like and that's why it all boils back like it may not even be their parents they don't like these other people over here but those people have this amount of success in this area so this person but they don't even like them Mm -hmm. and they're worried about what they think it's all and that's why it all i know it sounds weird but it boils back to ego suppression and you're with the bigger of an ego you have and it's not that ego is a bad thing. It's that what ego does is it lets in self-doubt because you want to put off this perception of who you are. So you're going to care more about what people think. And when you can start to suppress that and start to care less about what people think, it, it starts to bring in that feeling of, man, I don't, I don't care. Like, yeah, sure. Do it. Yeah. You, you do you, I'll do me. And right. There's so many things in our society that enhance that need for reassurance from people you don't even know right and if yeah. you're needing reassurance from people you don't even know or like yeah then that's something you got to deal with before you can ever really start to figure out how am i going to be happy yeah because you can't please people you don't even know yeah they don't yeah they're not interested in that right so we talked about bullfighting did you happen to see where we got a bull from casey donahue Oh, I heard. And then Donnie. Yeah. I saw. The, I saw. I okay. watched. So Donnie. I heard I saw and I watched. Here's the deal. Donnie was supposed to touch this bull for $250. I think the bull touched him. And we've had a lot of people voting and weighing in. Do you think he deserves the 250 Does that count? You still hadn't paid him? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this was podcast like 22 or 23. Maybe. Maybe. I'm just two fifty is a lot of money. I yeah, it is, and I I mean I have to say 
Donnie deserves the money. Yeah. There's contact. I mean, you could. Square's not a rectangle. Rectangle is not squared all day, but. Let me see if I even have it with me. You know what? I probably don't even have. Oh, dang, I do have it with me. Donnie, you've got to do something for me, though. Dude, I already did. That wasn't the deal. Yeah, he just had to. <laughs> he just had to touch the bull. Be there, folks. Hold it up to the microphone so they can hear it. Okay, but you have to buy my lunch. Okay. Fair enough. Every day this week. Chubway, <laughs> five dollar foot long. Yeah, okay. Just, just keep that twenty. Should hold you over on foot longs for the week. Did you know they stopped doing the five dollar foot long? As they should have. Inflation, bro. Whatever. <laughs> it's only like seven bucks. Yeah, that's a Still, lot of sandwich too. Dude, like you can't even I eat it all in one sitting. It's not even a full Subway. foot long. It's only like I ten mean, and a half inches. Man, I, it makes my stomach I love Subway, but like it's the closest fast food joint to Winnebago. Yeah. So like for a couple of years, I'm like maybe more and get a burger. four times a week I had Subway. The crazy thing about that Subway, the reason why that got me burnt out on it was, I'm not lying to you. Every single time I'd go in there, there was a new person working. Number one, I don't know how they got that many new people in there. But number two, it's just like, why are y'all going through so many people? And then there's somebody new making your sandwich every time. And the inconsistency, I think, is probably what turned me off. You know? I'm, I'm sorry to get technical about why I don't like this. It's important. It's important to know how you like your sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In that specific subway, like, you want it toasted? Just a little bit black. Black. <laughs> but no, I don't. I'm not going to eat that, man. Well, this is what you get. I'm not paying for that. I hadn't paid for it yet. I'm not buying that. I'm not one to complain about my food all that often, but well, I mean, when you actually get to pick it and you get to tell them exactly what you want, and they still don't do it correctly. Like, Leroy's got some frustrations. I I've emailed Subway a couple times. <laughs> He's he sometimes lets his hair down and turns into Karen. No, I don't. I don't ever ask to speak to a manager. It's just you like don't I don't appreciate this. I used to, not on purpose. <laughs> yeah, that one lady, one lady messed, messed my hair up. Uh, oh my gosh, he was mad. For weeks. Worse than you messed it up on your own? Oh, yeah. Like, at least when I messed it up on my own, it was like Steven Tyler-esque in the <laughs> 70s. Like, I still looked like I could be a badass if I wanted to be. But, no, I'm, I mean, it was like, when she got done, I looked in the mirror and I was like, why is it longer in the front than it is the back? What is <laughs> I was, yeah, I that was, was bad, freaking, dude. My biggest regret in the last year was cutting my hair. It's been painful to let it grow back out. How long does it take you to grow yours out? Uh, I was up to right about here in October. Okay. And so it's already down to my upper back. I cut it. It was just below the middle of my back. And I made the worst mistake in the world, and I cut it to the most awkward length your mm-hmm. hair can be at. It's that length where you, you are holding clippers every day thinking, am I just going to shave this off and be done with it? I might as well let it go. Yeah. And I told myself, six months, it'll be back. And it's, it's almost back. Yeah. It, it took me... To, for it to qualify as long hair and and not just like shaggy. That's not a wig? What? No. Dog, this is real. The carpet's match the drapes for sure. Yeah. <laughs> 14 months. 14 months. You really thought this was a wig? No. Oh, okay. I was about to say. Also, merch, shout out. Did you see the new hat? Yeah, it's, my it's coming. not coming out till next month. You got another one of those I can have? 
Um, I mean, I got another one you can buy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> He'll spot you. He's got some cash. <laughs> yeah, Talk to Donnie. Yeah, I fought, I fought for you for that. Are y'all going? Yeah, I can't. So y'all just first rodeo back in a while this weekend? Y'all going to the rodeo, aren't you? Yeah, tomorrow. Yeah. So I don't think I'm going to go tonight. But Friday, come see me. This podcast will be out after that. So You getting on? They don't have enough added. Oh. Yeah. Unless you guys want to add some more, I'll get on one. Mm. Don't forget my boro. Uh, too bad this is going to air after, so yeah. I can't add anymore. Uh, oh, one, yeah. Though. Next gonna, year. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to forget my bull rope. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to forget <laughs> my bull rope. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for coming out, uh, Mr. Paul Handelman. Um, When's your new album coming yeah, out? I'm going to plug my new record real quick. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I got, so I was up in Kentucky in February, and we cut a record up there. We could have started with that, That's by right. the way. Yeah. yeah. If you're still hanging on to this podcast and you've made it to the end... Congratulations. Here's the prize. Uh, we cut, I cut a record in February up in eastern Kentucky and um, with some really awesome guys, and we just finished mixing and mastering it, and it's going to release the latter half of July. So that'll be out. Um, I'll release a single first week or so of July once I get them all back, and then the whole record will come out end of July. And I don't know what's going to happen with music. I don't know what's going to happen with life. It's weird times right now, especially in that industry. That's why I'm back doing uh, blue collar work again because the lazy musicianship doesn't cut it when all the bars are closed. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to send this record off to the universe and see what happens with it. And it's uh, a lot of stories that are important to me, and I had a great time making it. So um, I'll make sure and update it on my social media and stuff when it's going to be out. But look for it. It's a, it's a great record with a lot of really good folks that help make it. That's what makes the record so good. Not my songs, just people that got to play with mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you got any life advice for the citizens of winnebago man i my life advice just always boils down to asking yourself every day if you're happy and if the yays are more than the nays over a period of time you're doing the right thing and if not you ain't no cowboy and you need to change what you're doing because there's some days where you're not there are absolutely. where there's some days where you're doing what you got to be doing, but you're not happy. And you've got to recognize where that balance and that tipping point is. Because I like to. That's why I like to call it at peace. Yeah. Because happiness kind of comes and goes. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, like you said, there should be more days that you're happy than you're right. not. But there's things you got to do when you're doing what you have to do in life or supposed happy. to do that don't make you happy. Correct. Yeah. So that's why I like to say whenever I'm having those conversations, like, are you at peace? Cause you can be at peace, but not happy. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Like there's, there's, there's times when like, I know this is a means to doing, you know, what makes me happy. So I'm at peace doing it. Yeah. But then there's times when you're doing, you're ha- you got the crappy job and you are not happy and you are not at peace. That's when you got to get out. Yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah well, just, be good to each other. That's the only other thing. Yeah, man. no kidding. There's no better time than now to just be good to each other. Yeah. And um, love your neighbors and love each other because we're all here yeah. trying to figure it out together. We're not going anywhere. Yeah. Leroy, wash your hands and say your prayers because germs and Jesus are everywhere. You got to say everywheres. Everywheres. Wash your hands and say your prayers because germs and Jesus are everywhere. Everywheres. Donnie. Um... Be passionate about being passionate. Mm. 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 In everything. When life hands you lemons, put a bow rope on them. Pow, pow, and on to the next one.